Please take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of 1 John, the fifth chapter. We're going to be in verses 14 and 15 today. We are making our way to the end of the chapter. There's only 21 verses, uh, so we might get through it uh, here in the next couple of months. We're going to we're going to take the next three weeks and look at prayer. And, and the choir just did a, a marvelous job of talking about what happens, singing in worship, what happens when we pray. And, and, and prayer is, is that thing, it is, it is probably the most vital component of our Christian walk. And yet, it's probably also one of the most uh, misunderstood components of our Christian walk. Uh, you know, I, I could ask you to do just about anything there was in the church. I could probably come up to you and say, man, we, we really need a Sunday school teacher today and, and uh, we can give you a book and you can lead the lesson and the discussion. And, and even though you might not be comfortable doing that, you probably would agree and say, okay, I'll do that. I, I probably could get you to say, you know what, I really need you to be in the choir today. Larry really needs you. And you probably would get up and even help sing in the choir even though you may not think that you would do very good uh, at, at, at carrying that out, but the reality is if I asked some of you to get up and pray, you'd say absolutely not, okay? Prayer is that thing that panics us more than just about anything. In fact, one of the reasons that research shows that a lot of people don't go to small group Bible studies in church, they would rather be in just the large group rather than small groups is because they're afraid that they're gonna be called upon to pray, and, and they just it just terrifies them that somebody might ask them to pray. It scares us to death, and the reason is because we don't understand what prayer really is. Prayer is the lifeblood of the Christian faith. It ought to be something that is as natural to us as breathing. And so this morning and next Sunday and the Sunday after that, we are gonna look at the concepts of prayer. How, first of all, this morning, you and I can have confidence in prayer. Now, John is writing these last few verses, kind of an epilogue. He's completed his letter. And the last few weeks, we've looked at, at how we can know that we have salvation, how we can know that we have eternal life. And, and so he kind of comes on the heels of that, and he begins to put in some other things, just kind of little reminders that he wants the church that was receiving this letter to remember uh, to have as a foundation, and, and prayer is that framework. Prayer is that foundation that is essential to our life of faith. It is important for us. It's one of the things Jesus told the disciples to do. Uh, in, in the Gospels, Jesus, uh, Luke 18, Jesus told the disciples there that they were to always pray and not get discouraged. Uh, that's a tough thing to do, but he used a parable uh, about a, a, a woman who had a need and she kept bringing it to the king who didn't fear God, but because she was constant and consistent in her prayer, the king granted her request. And so Jesus said, keep praying, don't get discouraged. Paul tells the church at Thessalonica that we are to pray constantly. And, and you know, I, I've longed for the prayer life. Well, I, I've shared with you before about uh, Dr. Lacoste Munn. Do, uh, Dr. Munn was my Greek professor at seminary, and, and he was one of those guys that could, man, he, he just was constant in a spirit of prayer. It didn't matter what was going on and, and, and what circumstance or situation was. Somebody would say, Dr. Munn, would you pray? And he'd just pick up a conversation that he was having with God. Now, he might not have absolutely anything to do with what was going on right there around that you needed him to pray, but you just knew that he was in a constant spirit of prayer. And, and so this morning, we're gonna look at this and, and what it means for us and how we understand 
this vital aspect of prayer in our life. If you have your Bibles open there uh, to the book of 1 John, if you would, please stand with me this morning as we are the reading of the Word of God. Beginning in verse 14, now this is the confidence we have before him. Whenever we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked him for. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin that does not bring death, he should ask, and God will give life to him, to those who commit sin that doesn't bring death. There is sin that brings death. I'm not saying he should pray about that. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is sin that does not bring death. You may be seated. May God bless his word this morning as we study it together. There's a couple of things that we're going to look at about prayer, uh, about how we pray, what we pray, and, uh, and what God wants to do uh, in us to teach us about prayer as we worship him together today through the study of the word. The first thing that this passage teaches us, shows us, demonstrates to us is, is a condition of our prayer is we have to know your standing. You have to know where you stand. Uh, remember... Uh, couple of principles, three things that you need to always remember about Scripture. Okay, always remember this when you're studying the Bible. First of all, let the Bible interpret the Bible. Okay, not man's interpretation. Let the Bible interpret the Bible. Number two, the Bible says what it says and means what it means. Okay, uh, take the Bible literally. It says what it says and what it means. And number three, the Bible never contradicts itself. Okay, so whenever you're interpreting scripture, always interpret it in light of other scripture. John has just been talking about how you and I can know that we have eternal life. And then he moves into verse 14 and he writes there this truth. He says very simply, we, now, we, now this is the confidence we have before him. When you and I understand our relationship with God, and we understand that we are before him, that means that we are in him, that he is our father, then the Bible teaches us that we can have confidence. John writes, this is the confidence we have. This is something. We hold this confidence in our hands. We are able to take possession of it. We are able to to know it uh, here in our life. And what John says is we can know that we have confidence in the area of prayer if we are before God in Christ. That's the key that I understand my relationship. Jesus taught this in the Gospel of Matthew in the seventh chapter where he talked about uh, earthly fathers. He said, if you being evil, talking about earthly fathers, if you being evil know how to give good gifts. Now he wasn't saying that you and I are evil people. He was just saying we're not holy like God is holy. But he's saying if you as an earthly father know how to give good gifts, how much more so your father who is in heaven. And so that principle that we know, that principle that we hold on to, that if I am before God and and I understand that I have a relationship to him because of who Jesus Christ is and because of what Christ has done in my life, if I know that and I'm letting that uh, relationship to God the Father through the Son under the direction of the Holy Spirit guide everything else that I do, I can have confidence in prayer. Now, here's the deal. If you don't know that you have a relationship to Jesus Christ, that is governing every part of your life. If you don't know, if you're not sure and certain about who you are in Christ, if you don't know that you possess eternal life, your prayers are useless and ineffective. You and I can't pray with confidence if we don't understand that we have a relationship to Father that's changed who we are. We can't pray with any certainty that God is going to hear and answer. But, but the word of God tells me when I know 
last three weeks we've looked at that, that I know that I have eternal life, when I know that God is my Father, when I am before him and in him, when there is nothing standing in the way of my relationship to him, I can know that I have confidence to approach him in prayer. And that word for confidence means that I can be outspoken and bold in my words. I don't have to pray mealy-mouthed prayers. Now, that doesn't mean arrogance. Okay, we're going to get to this in just a minute. Doesn't mean arrogance, doesn't mean overconfidence, but it means that I can be bold and outspoken, that I can come before God with a certainty that what I am saying is is being heard, that God knows what I am voicing. Okay, I can pray with certainty. And and, and here, this is essential. You need to get this down, okay? Uh, There there are probably no more three important sermons that I'm going to preach in my ministry in the next three weeks, today and the next two Sundays. Okay, I'm just telling you that straight up. It is important for you and I because this is the number one principle that is being abused today by the prosperity gospel preachers, okay? The the attitude and the understanding of prayer. It is essential that we get this down. And what John says, what John teaches is that you and I can have this confidence, this, this boldness, and the key to that boldness is my closeness in my walk with the Father through the Son and the leadership of the Holy Spirit. That, that's what he says. I can do that. I, if I know my standing... I can pray with confidence. Ruth Bell Graham, uh, Ruth, uh, Bell Graham the, the wife of Billy Graham, in 1941, she is in school. She's studying to be a missionary to Tibet. She believes that her life call at that point in time is to go much like Lottie Moon and be a missionary all by herself, alone the rest of her life, just giving her whole life a dedication to being a missionary for God in Tibet. That's her goal and her, her direction in life. And in 1941, Billy Graham ask her to marry him. Now, she doesn't immediately say yes. She doesn't rush to the altar. She doesn't get married, okay? And guys, this is, a, this is something that teenagers and young people, they need to listen to, okay? You need to pray about who you're dating, all right? And you need to pray about who you're engaged with and, are, and hanging around and giving influence your life. Now, they're both at school studying to be ministers and missionaries, but she doesn't just automatically run to the altar and say, sure, this must be God's will. She prays about it before she tells him yes and before she gets married. But when she agrees to accept Billy's proposal for marriage, she writes this in her journal. If I marry Bill, I must marry him with my eyes wide open. He will be increasingly burdened for the lost souls and increasingly burdened for the Lord's work. After the joy and the satisfaction of knowing that I am his by rights and I am his forever. I will slip into the background, in short, be a lost life. Lost in bills. You see, she understood that Bill Graham's call upon his life would consume him, and if she said yes to him as his call in ministry, that she would be his and only his forever, but that it would mean that she would step back and be lost in his life. And that attitude led her to say yes to him to the point that in August of 1943, two years later, they were married, and for the next 63 years, she gave herself selflessly and sacrificially in love to their relationship. What's the point? Do you know whose you are? See, she knew whose she was. She was the Lord's first, and then she was Billy Graham's wife. And it colored everything that she did. So do you know whose you are? Are you walking in a relationship with Jesus Christ 
Are you before him? Because we know this, if we have confidence that if we are before him, he hears us. The second principle that this passage teaches us is just very simply that. We can know that we are heard. Look at verse 14. Now, this is the confidence we have before him, in him. Whenever we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. That phrase, he hears us. If you mark or on your Bible, circle it, red, underline it, outline it, do something out in the margin, write, God is inclined towards me. How many of you have brothers and sisters? Raise your hand. I don't, don't put them down yet. Just raise them. Okay. How many of you who have brothers and sisters know that you are the favorite? If you're not the favorite, put your hand down. Okay. There's a few of you. Now, wait a minute. Both of you can't have your hands up, okay? I'm just telling you that. That doesn't work, all right? Okay? Both of you can't have your hands up, all right? Those of you who are the favorite, you're probably the baby, okay? You, you probably are the baby. Maybe you're the oldest child or maybe you're that middle child that got lost and is totally misunderstood, okay? I, I don't know, but... but what this phrase means that he hears us, it means very simply this, the God of the ages is inclined towards you, that his ears, now God hears everything, okay? God hears everything. But when it says that God hears us, it means that he is inclined towards us, that his ears are open towards his children, that his heart is leaning towards them, and it's not just an audible sound, but that he hears to the point of understanding. You and I are heard. It means that we are the king's favorite. That's exactly what Martin Lloyd-Jones says in his commentary about this passage that, that it is a person who has the king's ear. You are the king's favorite. And so when I know I am before him, in him, because of my relationship to Jesus Christ under the direction of the Holy Spirit, allowing the word of God to speak and to interpret into my life his will and his way, then I know that I am heard. In, in the Gospel of Luke, the ninth chapter, Jesus was interacting with a man at the temple who was born blind. And Jesus heals him. And the Pharisees come to him and they say, who healed you? And he says, I don't know, I haven't seen him. And, 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 and then he, he says, oh, wait a minute, this is him, this is the guy. And they said, well, we, we think he heals by the devil, by Beelzebub. And the, the blind man looks at him and he teaches these theologians a lesson that is exactly what this passage means. He says, really, isn't that interesting? He said, because theologically we know, go read this sometime in Luke 9, theologically we know that God doesn't listen to sinners. But he hears those who do his will and obey him. And nobody has ever heard of a man being born blind having his eyes open. So we know that God heard him. When I know that I am before him, in a relationship to him because of who Jesus Christ is, I can know that my prayers are heard. He hears me, that his heart is inclined to me in everything that I do. He's not just listening, it's not just this noise, but when I know that I'm a child of God, I can know for certain that my prayers are heard and that God is listening. And what that, hap what that means is I then approach the throne of grace with confidence, not arrogance. See, the prosperity gospel preachers today will tell you that you can approach the throne of grace in arrogance. 
that God becomes this genie in a prayer bottle. And I can demand of him. In fact, the name it, claim it, prosperity gospel preachers, I can tell you this because I've heard it so many times in my ministry, even here. I've had people tell me, when, when we started the Cowboy Church in 2003, we started the Cowboy Church in, in, in the end of summer and in September, uh, the first part, last part of September, first part of October, the pastor of their church, Bob Hayes, uh, our mission was diagnosed with liver cancer. Three weeks later, I did Bob Hayes' funeral. When Bob was in the hospital and he was sick up here and he was dying, I walked into the hospital room to visit Salisa, his wife. And when I walked into the hospital room, she was very distraught and she was very upset. I said, what's wrong? And she said, some people just left and some people told me that if I had faith and if I had strength in faith in my prayer, I could demand of God that, that, that Bob would get out of that bed and walk and I don't have that kind of faith. That's a lie. Okay, that is a lie straight from the pit of hell. And there are people that will take this passage of Scripture that if we are before him, we have the confidence to ask anything according, and they'll even tell you. That if you pray, God, your will be done, what that is, they'll tell you is that's a parachute for weak faith. See, I, I ought to be able as a child of God, I just ask the Father and he gives me and if I pray your will be done, that's a parachute for weak faith. You're, you don't have the faith to be strong. That's what they'll tell you. Really? Read this verse. If we ask anything according to his will, the word of God tells me to pray according to his will. Jesus in the model prayer said, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It is not a weakness to pray, God, your will be done in my life. It's the word of God, and we need to allow the word of God to interpret the word of God. Scripture interprets scripture. We need to let the word of God say what it says and mean what it means, and we need to understand the Bible never contradicts itself in anything that we do. God's word is true. I can approach the throne of grace with confidence, not arrogance. And that confidence lets me know that as I pray, I have an assurance that I am heard. That, it doesn't mean that I get whatever I want. It doesn't mean that I get to just pray and God jumps. But it means that I can learn to pray as Jesus taught. What did he teach in the model prayer? It's not some magic formula that we're supposed to recite out of rote memory. It is a formula of an outline for prayer. How am I supposed to, supposed to, supposed to pray? How are you supposed to pray? Our Father. I ought to start every prayer with, Father, thank you that, that you are my heavenly Father. Thank you that you've covered me with the shed blood of Jesus. Thank you that I have a relationship to you. Our Father who art in heaven, God, I thank you that you are sovereign and you're on your throne and you're over everything and you're watching and you're connected to, to all that's going on. Your will be done. They ought to pray, God, your will be done here as it is in heaven. You are holy, God. Make me holy. That, that's what we ought to pray. It's a model, an outline of how we are to pray and to voice our prayer. I can pray with confidence that I'm, pray, that I'm heard, but not arrogance. And when you pray, don't babble. See, prayer's not always out loud. If you're driving down the road and you're praying out loud, people think you're weird. It's not always out loud. Sometimes it's just, it's just uh, your heart is praying. Your mind is engaged. And these other people tell you, they just disengage your mind. No, that's meditation and that's 
stupid. <laughs> meditate on the word of God. Don't meditate. You know, look like the, what was it, Rafiki, the baboon in the Lion King. Oh, it's just <laughs> stupid, okay? Get into God's word, know what God's word says, and, and meditate on the word of God. And, and the truth is this, the moment I pray, the moment I enter into a relationship with God, I understand that I am heard. And not only am I heard today, I'm going to be heard tomorrow, and I'm going to be heard 10 years from now if, if Jesus tarries. I am heard because of my relationship to him. And I ought to pray. Why? Because God told us to. See, this, this thought process, well, God's sovereign. He knows what I'm, I'm going to ask for before I ever ask. And if he already knows that and he knows what he's going to answer, why should I pray? Because he says to. I mean, the God of the ages has chosen this method for you and I to come and to bring our petitions before him. Jesus says that I am to pray and not get discouraged. And, and if, I, if I don't pray, then I grow weary. And if I grow weary, I am discouraged and I struggle in my faith. I am to pray all the time because the Father says pray. And then the third thing is that I can know that my prayers are heard. Look at verse 15. If we know that he hears whatever we ask, and that word means prayer. You, your text may say that. And we know that he hears whatever we pray. We know that we have what we have prayed for from him or asked from him. We, we have what we ask. Now, that doesn't mean that the child gets everything that he wants. James 4.3, Jesus' half-brother, James, wrote and said, you don't get what you want because sometimes you pray for your, yourself. And the reality is there are a lot of times we can dress up prayer requests, can't we? We can rationalize, God, I, I really need a new car. Because if you'll give me a new car, I promise you I'll show up for visitation every Tuesday night. And that new car will, will help me go out and, and visit people and tell them about Jesus. And, Lord, if somebody gets saved, I'll even take them to church in my new car, okay? We can rationalize. We can color whatever we want to pray. But let me tell you something. The Lord knows, Okay? Uh, the, the psalmist tells us in, in Psalm uh, uh, 119 that, that, no wait, 112, no, 119, sorry, 119.2, that his heart, he knows what's in our, our heart. He knows. We're not getting anything over on God. Okay, you can dress it up and you can spiritualize it and pray about it, and, but God knows why you're asking and James says, sometimes we don't get what we ask for because we pray with selfish motives. We pray with our own heart and our own interest in line, no matter what we dress it up to be. And, and, and so it's not that God becomes this genie in a prayer bottle. I get whatever I want whenever I want it. I, you know, and there are people today that are telling you that, and I want to point out something to you. Most of the people that that prosperity gospel working for are the people that are preaching it. It's not working so well for everybody in their congregation but it's working real well for the people that are preaching it. Okay? Know that. And know the truth. I don't get to pray, Lord, I want a new boat. Well, Psalm 37, 4. He gives me the desires of my heart. I desire a new boat. I desire a new house. I desire a new car. I want a new deer rifle. I want a new deer lease. I'm, now, see, I'm, I'm throwing those things out that I desire, okay? It's, Really? No. That's not what the Bible says. You see, the more I am before him, 
and in him because of who Christ is, the more I am before him, Psalm 37, 4 is true. He really will give me the desires of my heart. But here's what it means. All of a sudden, what I begin to desire is all that's in accordance with his will. That, that's what it means. It doesn't mean that he gives me the things that I want. It means that he changes my core. He changes the things that I want. He changes my desires from the inside out. So all I want is what he wants. And that's what it means to let the word of God and the spirit of God frame your prayer. That you are praying in consistent order with what God's word says, when God's word says it, as God's word says it. And he will give you the desire of your heart. Now hear me very closely today. God hears and answers every single prayer of his children that is in accordance with his will. But he doesn't hear every request and prayer of those who are his when we pray for more stuff. So get before him and get in him and be certain of your relationship to him and, and be in the word of God and pray consistently with the word of God. Prayer is essential. We're going to focus on it for the next three weeks, April 9th, 10th, 11th, 12th. I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to tell you this every Sunday until we get there. We are having a bay hop, becoming a house of prayer. Uh, Dennis Connor and his wife Betty Jo are coming. We're going to start on Saturday night with a fellowship meal. Sunday morning we'll have one service that day. Uh, Dennis will be preaching that morning. He'll be preaching about a, a message entitled What's in a Name? How we pray in the name of Christ. Sunday night we're going to have a prayer service. Some of you are thinking, I ain't coming. Yes, come. I want, we want to teach you how to pray. What did the disciples say? The disciples didn't say Jesus teaches how to walk on water. They didn't say Jesus teaches how to witness. They didn't say Jesus teaches how to do miracles. The disciples said teach us to pray. Prayer is something you can learn, and prayer is something that is foundational, essential to you. The Father has told us to pray, and we need to learn how to pray. We need to know what prayer is and what prayer isn't. Prayer is not a Christian Christmas list. That's not That's not prayer. And, and, and so when we come and we pray, we get to understand what God is saying. When the child of God prays, we frame our prayers in accordance with his will and in accordance with his word. Our confidence is not an arrogant demanding of our way or our wants. It is prayer to the God of the universe, the God of the Bible, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who parted the Red Sea, the God who sent manna from heaven, the God who sent water from the rock, the God who, who raised Lazarus from the dead, the God who sent his one and only, only begotten, never to be duplicated son, Jesus Christ, to this cross, to this earth, to live a sinless life, to die for your sin and for my sin, to be buried and to be resurrected on the third day. That is the God that we pray to. He's sovereign. He's overall. And he tells us to pray. So I want to challenge you this morning to pray, to get engaged in prayer. We have some people who are signing up. And, man, this is the first Sunday that I know that we have somebody who began at 6 o'clock yesterday afternoon and is going to fast and pray for our services today until 6 o'clock today. Next Sunday, I know that that Sunday's covered. Our goal is to have every Sunday for the rest of this year covered as somebody at six o'clock on Saturday afternoon begins to fast and pray. And, and I, I don't know what, you, you know, we hear fast, we think, man, I, I, I have to take medicine. I can't fast from, from food, or I, I can't fast. You I mean, pick, pick something to fast, fast from TV. Man, this is a great time of the year to fast. 
okay? The Cowboys aren't playing. You start fasting on Saturday afternoon at 6, and if you get it in now before the Rangers start, you're good. Sign up. Learn what prayer is and learn what prayer isn't. Come to the prayer conference and let God teach you what it means through his word to pray. You and I are to be people of prayer. He has said, my house, four times in scripture, my house will be called a house of prayer. And if, G, if, if God and the Father and God the Son three times and, and then Christ four times say that something is important, don't you think it's probably important? We need to learn how to pray. So I want you to engage in prayer. And, and, and what that means very simply is we need to understand the group that we fall into today. There are three groups of people here. There are some of you who pray when it gets really tough and things get really hard and you pray and it never seems to work out. I want to give you a thought because if that's who you are, there's only two options for you. The first is you're not saved. You do not have a relationship to God the Father through the Son under the direction of the Holy Spirit. The only prayer that God hears of a sinner is the prayer of repentance and confession. You can ask for all the stuff. You can ask for God to work and move in your life. But if you don't have a relationship to him, he's not going to answer that prayer. And so if you're here and you pray a lot, it doesn't seem to work out, then you need to check your relationship. Has there been a time in your life where you surrendered your heart to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior over everything? The other option is, is that you're a child of God, but there is unconfessed, unrepentant sin in your life, and that is affecting your relationship to Jesus Christ or to the Father through the Son, Jesus Christ. And what you need to do is to get on your face before holy God and confess. If your prayer is not effective, it's because you and I are not being holy like we should. James, again, the half-brother of Jesus, 5th chapter, 16th verse, the prayer of a righteous man availeth much. The fervent prayer, effective prayer of a righteous man, somebody who is right standing with God, is powerful. It, it availeth much. It, it accomplishes what it's supposed to do. So if your prayer isn't accomplishing it, two options. You're not saved. And that's real simple to get fixed. Or there's unconfessed, unrepentant sin in your life that needs to be confessed. And that's real simple to get fixed. The third group of people that are here today are people who need to be praying more. And every single one of us is in that category. I don't care if you're praying 23 hours a day. You can pray 24. Be constant in a spirit of prayer. The word of God says that that's what we're supposed to do. We ought to wake up praying. We ought to go to bed at night praying. Man, one of the greatest things that I ever used at preteen camp was prayer. You get a bunch of preteeners in, in a cabin at night and they don't want to go to sleep, just start praying. I have prayed more kids to sleep than I preach people to sleep. It's true. Prayer works. Pray. We are to be people of prayer. So this morning, what do you need to do to allow the word of God to speak to your heart about prayer?